Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today we are joined by Kate Winter, who to me is calmness personified. Kate is a fellow Warwick alumni, ex-police officer, ex-personal trainer, cum yoga and meditation teacher, now working as a sales and marketing manager for the health supplement company Bear Biology. I first met Kate in my first year of uni at Warwick when I was struggling with my own eating disorder and I remember being completely inspired by Kate's anorexia journey and her discovery of meditation and yoga. Kate joins us today to reflect on her journey with anorexia and how practicing Ashtanga yoga and meditation has shaped her recovery. Hello, Kate. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I was just chuckling to myself about calmness personified because <laughs> we had a few technical glitches to get us to this point. But I'm so yeah happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit difficult, wasn't it? Um, but thank you so much for joining us today. I have always been so inspired by you. And I wondered if you just wanted to start by explaining your journey with anorexia and how that led into you finding yoga. Yeah, okay. So um, in, in many ways, I guess my, my um, diagnosis of anorexia was um, not what people would expect in the sense that I was diagnosed in my 20s and mm. hadn't really had um, significant problems with, um, with eating um, in my teenage years, which I think is you know, relatively common, but I guess it just goes against what people perceive about anorexia as a, um, as a mental and physical illness. Right. And yeah, so I was I was diagnosed um, in my twenties and had a a period of like outpatient treatment, like psychotherapy, you know, basically talking therapy with the view of trying to sort of gain some weight and get to the root of the issues. And sadly for me, although I found therapy at the time, you know, and, and continue to, although I found it beneficial. I would say it wasn't enough to get me to the point of being able to actually make the change of mm. of gaining weight. Mm -hmm. So I ended up becoming um, an inpatient in an eating disorders unit in right. Warwick. So that was, um, yeah, quite a sort of difficult time. You know, I was, I was in my 20s, I was working as a police officer and, you know, I generally sort of should have had my shit together if I'm allowed to swear <laughs> but really everything was just sort of falling apart around me because you know as you know if you don't have your 
health almost you have nothing to kind of hang everything else off mm. so my my work was suffering you know my relationships were very challenging um and just life was just just really an absolute struggle and i guess i had yeah, part of my anorexia was um, this extreme kind of addiction, I suppose, to exercise and to running. And that was really like my drug in many ways. I found that eating wasn't always the hardest thing for me, that one of the hardest things was the prospect of not going for a run on a given day. And I guess I was I was training for a marathon um, and I was very underweight and not really in a, in a great shape to run the marathon. But I was, you know, very determined still to do it. And, you know, I being a perfectionist, as I think, you know, many sufferers tend to be, I wanted to run this perfect marathon. And, you know, all of the running magazines and all of the advice say to you, you should do some yoga once a week, you know, to help stretch out, you know, your sort of tired muscles from running and all yeah. of this. So it was, it was Hannah, as simple as that in the sense that, you know, a magazine told me to go to a yoga class. And so I did. And I just, I walked into a yoga studio in Leamington Spa and it was an Ashtanga yoga studio. But the, at the time that meant absolutely nothing to me the word ashtanga <laughs> it was just oh this is yoga this is going to be some stretching mm-hmm. um and you know I was absolutely floored because you know I just tried to just reach forward as if to touch my toes not even to touch my toes and I was just met with just extreme agony you know because mm-hmm. my body was so tight and obviously quite brittle and undernourished from the food restriction and the and the exercise and yeah I guess like I wouldn't say I I immediately took to the yoga at all I went back you know most weeks I would say and I just did this kind of like beginners ashtanga class and to be honest it was just really really painful um it wasn't something that I found to be like you know this beautiful lovely experience you know I was I was in a lot of physical pain but I think many people who've done yoga might be able to relate to the next bit and that's that when you finish the class you know even a really painful class you lie down in what's called shavasana so corpse pose you know the relaxation at the end and it was then I remember once just lying on this yoga mat and I just had this feeling of like oh, I'm home, and also this feeling of this is going to be my way out of this, like this kind of mess that I've got myself into. So you said that running felt like a drug to you. When you then gave up running, was it a quick transition from no running, starting yoga, or was it a slow progression that you gradually stopped with the running and started doing the yoga more? Yeah, well, I suppose, um, you know, it's interesting. Again, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself about yoga and, mm. and many and many people's stories about how they came to yoga seem to me like, oh, I just found this practice and then that was all I did and the world became this lovely, beautiful place. <laughs> and for me, it just wasn't that straightforward. You know, I was still so addicted to the running and I was also very scared because, you know, the yoga's like, the yoga holds a mirror up to yourself and your life. You know, you can't hide in yoga practice. You can't put on a pretend posture because if you can either do the posture or you can't, there's just no 
faking it. You have to kind of face up to the reality of your body as it is at any given time. So I was quite resistant to the yoga and and I, I kept it going, you know, as I said, for, for a little while, but then I would have months and months and months of not doing it again and just doing more running. And then I suppose what broke the running habit was being hospitalised because I simply couldn't go out for a run. And I was in hospital for about 10 months. So, you know, it was a significant time in which to then not run. But then, you know, when I came out of hospital, again, recovery isn't linear. So I didn't then think, oh, I now no longer need to run. I couldn't wait to get running again. So I started running again. But I also went back to the yoga. And I think the time at which you and I met was a time when I was doing a lot of weight training and I was doing some competitive bodybuilding. And that really was my way out of running. And it was almost that the yoga stayed with me from my running days through my bodybuilding weight lifting days until the point at which I finally felt ready to say like I don't need to do any of this really punishing stuff anymore I'm now ready just to do the yoga but you know for me that was a long you know many many years I could sit here now and say oh, I've been practicing Ashtanga yoga since 2012 or something which would be true but it's it's not true in the sense that it wasn't like it is now where for me it's like you know pretty much a daily practice mm -hmm. You know, I was I was messing about doing lots of other physical things for, for many of those years when I first came across yoga because I just wasn't ready to kind of give them up yet. Mm. This is actually something really interesting because I, during lockdown, have really tried to start yoga mm. because, you know, you hear about these amazing benefits that it has. Why I don't do it, I don't know, because there is so much evidence behind it. But I think I just really struggle to slow down. And it's kind of mm. like you were saying before, the exercise that you do. I don't find that it's like a punishment, but it's all very fast paced. And I mm. think I worry about, you know, there's so much going on in my head. And to me, I do some exercise and I feel loads better. And it's all those endorphins. And those worries mm. that I've had have kind of gone away, mm. but they've not really gone away. Mm. So with mm. yoga, I think the thing that's holding me back is the thought of like sitting with those concerns. Is that what it is? Do you have to sit with the like worries and feelings or it must be better than that? Otherwise people wouldn't do it, you know? Yeah, I would say this is where, you know, we could talk about the difference between kind of, you know, the yoga postures, which we call asana, so A-S-A-N-A -A -A in Sanskrit, and then sitting in meditation. And I guess when you're doing the physical postures and the asana, um, it depends on what style of yoga somebody is practicing. Okay. But generally, you're not really sitting with your feeling so much because just like going for a walk or a run or lifting weights you, you're you're doing something so you're focusing on the thing you're doing but I guess sitting in meditation and you're sitting still you may be more likely to kind of have to sit with your worry or your sadness or your anxiety or whatever it may be on a given day so I think there's there's a kind of a, a difference there but also I think you know with yoga it's a case of finding the type of yoga that's best for your personality mm. type and what you enjoy doing and I think that you know I, I practice Ashtanga yoga which is 
it's a dynamic practice and by dynamic I mean you're moving around a lot and the postures as you as you get better you you start learning new, new postures and in essence they just get harder and harder and harder so when you're trying to do a really difficult posture or you're doing five breaths in a posture then you're moving straight into another one for me I find that Ashtanga is it suits me because it doesn't actually like it doesn't give me that time to kind of sit and ruminate and worry and think oh am I am I rubbish at this posture oh I hate this because in essence even if you do have those thoughts five breaths later so a matter of seconds you're moving on to the next one so it kind of teaches you not to dwell too much on the past or the future you have to just be in the present which mm. I guess is what the purpose of yoga is all about is integration and unity with the present moment so yeah and then you know and then for other people that perhaps don't have the personality type that you know that you describe and, and that I'm certainly similar to maybe people that are have a tendency to be more um like lethargic more apathetic and just struggle to kind of get going for them you know maybe a different type of practice is more beneficial because if they were to look at a video of ashtanga yoga they might think oh well, that's just way too much for me mm -hmm. so they wouldn't give it a go at all so the way in might be doing some more gentle hatha type practices and you know and i think just listening to your and really knowing yourself and your personality type is helpful is that the way you started was that doing you know sort of the slower movements as you got into it and then progressed or did you did you start with ashtanga well i started with ashtanga but purely by coincidence because that was just the studio that i went to for my very first oh. class um so it was completely coincidental but I would say that, you know, how I described that the body doesn't lie in, in yoga, because I was underfed and very, very stiff, I was very slow to kind of get going anyway, if that makes sense. So as much as the method is that, you know, you do five breaths and you move on and it's kind of like a flowing sequence. I mean, I did not look like I was flowing at all. Like, I, and I probably still don't. I don't necessarily feel like I'm this beautiful swan moving through water. You know, it feels sometimes really clunky. But that's part of it, you know. And I think it's having the, the effort and the discipline, but balanced with a kind of a sweetness and a lightness and a sense of ease mm. and that really is what we kind of are always trying to achieve in the yoga practice and really I guess that's what we're trying to achieve in life you know you don't just sit around all day doing absolutely nothing seven days of the week equally if you just worked from 6am until 12pm every day and you're like a hamster in a wheel you'll soon burn out yeah. so it's always finding I think the the balance between like effort and ease. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier about perfectionism which I think is really mm -hmm. prominent in um, individuals with anorexia do you think the fact that you know when you started yoga it wasn't perfect and you couldn't do it exactly how it's meant to be do you think that helped challenge some of the anorexic thoughts in that not everything has to be perfect I mean that's a, such a great question and absolutely yes I mean 
you know and, and to be honest you know you say you asked me whether or not I felt like that when I first started and I would say I still feel like that today you know like because no practice I, I was I would say that even the most gifted yoga practitioners physically I would say no practice is ever just perfect like nothing ever just goes completely swimmingly mm. from the beginning of your first breath to the end of the last breath there's always moments that I, as I said are a bit clunky or a bit challenging and yeah it taught me just to kind of let some stuff go mm. and you know the, the perfectionism was so rife you know and in many ways you know I'm, I'm still a perfectionist or at least I have very high standards in myself yeah. Um, but yeah, every day I have to do this practice that, to be honest, I'm never going to be a YouTube sensation yoga person. I'm never, yeah, and I'm not in my twenties anymore. My teens, I'm, you know, I'm a woman in her like mid thirties and, you know, and the practice isn't this like beautiful, perfect thing. So, you know, knowing that it's all about effort and that if you have the right effort, and that's not just really hard work, but effort that is um, true and honest, but the effort is there, that's all that matters. Um, and that whether or not it looks perfect or even feels perfect, it just doesn't matter, especially, you know, because you're just gonna do it again tomorrow. And, and hopefully there's still tomorrow. So you can just try again. You soon get bored of every day being frustrated at the same posture that you can't do. And in the end, it's like, there's just no point in having that reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose when it's something that you're trying to do, you know, to enjoy and to calm yourself down, that frustration, it's just, it's not welcome. Yeah. And yet you have to acknowledge it, you know, and mm. I think it sounds as though you're very good at this, you know, you can kind of you, you have that self-awareness and you can watch those thoughts and be like, oh, I'm really being judgmental of myself right now or I'm being really hard on myself right now. And the minute at which you notice that, that's when you've got like a choice. You're almost at a fork in the road of like, okay, I can keep going down this path and deepen that groove of, you know, self-abandonment um, or uh, criticism or at that moment you can say, I'm going to take another route, which is just a bit of self-compassion or just neutrality mm -hmm. of just like, just not going to carry the way right now. Yeah, I think that's something that I've definitely come to realise over the past few months is there's such this message of like, you know, self-love and body love and just absolutely adoring every part of you. But yeah. that's not that's not realistic every day. And, you know, even if it, it's never like that, it's like you say, it's finding that neutrality, just accepting what's happening, who you are, what you look like and not letting it be the be all and end all. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think I couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, this whole, you know, body positivity, you know, I just it's not that I'm anti, the, you know, body positivity as a movement. But I just think, why do we care so much? Because we're just going to die. Our, our body, <laughs> our, our physical shell is just going to get older and older and older. And then we're going to leave the body behind. And, you know, I, I think that especially for women, there's all of this pressure to, you know, love and accept yourself. 
I just think we just need to care a little bit less. Yeah. You know, I don't have a full length mirror at home. I barely look at my body like unless it's when I'm like in a yoga posture and I'm trying to figure something out, you know? I just think, yeah, body neutrality and you know, being more concerned with being a really kind human being mm. to ourselves and to others is a lot more important than like, oh, I love my rolls or I love my, you know, stretch marks. Like, who cares? Like, whether you've got stretch marks or not, I just, no one cares but you. <laughs> and that's quite an interesting thing, really, because I think sometimes for you, yoga, I think sounds such an incredible thing and it's helped you along your way so much. But mm. I think that has become a sort of association with like a clean lifestyle. So do you think that there's obviously a lot of research regarding yoga and eating disorder recovery but do you think sometimes there could be a slippery path of it's just sort of a camouflage of a way of being clean which obviously when you're in recovery from an eating disorder you can't have words like clean yeah absolutely I think um I think so many people have fallen or are in that trap mm -hmm. and I would say you know I definitely fell into it for a short period of time at the very beginning of my sort of Ashtanga yoga journey. I think the time at which I decided like, right, I'm going to just commit myself to this. I'm not going to go to the gym anymore. I'm not going to run. I'm just going to do yoga. You know, I still brought with it that same element of wanting to be a perfect yogi mm. and the perfect yogi drinks green juice and doesn't eat any meat or fish or dairy or eggs and doesn't drink alcohol and and all of this stuff mm. and you know and I and I fell down that trap for a little while but if anything I think the practice brings you home to your true self mm. and for me that happened or it is happening fairly quickly and so after a while you know I soon realized what I was doing and that actually it wasn't giving me very much joy and so although I had a short period of time being vegan and all of that you know it's just not who I am I you know it's just not I, I dream about fish and yeah and I work now for a fish oil and some marine collagen supplement brand mm -hmm. so my body needs whatever is contained within oily fish in order to thrive and function mm -hmm. I also want to go to a you know cafe and be able to have a non-vegan bit of cake if that's what I fancy and not sort of legitimize not having it oh because it's got dairy in it and I'm vegan because I do yoga I just I just think that's rubbish yeah. and you know, and alcohol is an interesting one as well I think not many yoga practitioners certainly that I know are as open as I am about really loving a big old glass of wine <laughs> you know and I'm and I will post on Instagram and you probably see this you know a, yeah. a photo of me doing yoga or you know a spiritual quote and then an hour later there's a glass of wine on my feed and and people might look at that and think oh well that's not very yogic but I'm like well I spent years depriving myself of pleasure and joy and you know I'm not someone that drinks to excess but I get a lot of pleasure out of a glass of red wine so why would I not yeah. give that to myself when I've had this history of not doing that previously and food and alcohol they are connection and 
the whole point of yoga is connection with yourself and how you relate to the universe. And for me, you know, obviously we're in lockdown now, but if I'm with friends or family, you know, and we're having a bottle of champagne, I want to be a part of that because I want to be in the world. I don't want the yoga to take me out of the world. And I think that's it, isn't it? We're, we're so obsessed as a society in just like doing everything perfectly, like you said. But if it's being restrictive, that isn't perfect anyway. And no. I think it's like you said, you know, just being able to go to the shop and have a piece of cake because you want it, but not having those restrictions in place. And I think for a lot of people, being vegan, it can be completely fine. But For sure. I personally think especially at you know the start of your recovery or whatever you can't have things like that because it's it's again it's just another rule and it's a way of avoiding certain foods you know like you said when you go out with friends and family oh no sorry I can't eat that because I'm vegan and I think it's very difficult to separate those thoughts in is this me Mm -hmm. saying that I don't want to eat meat or whatever for the planet or is Mm -hmm. it just another excuse again Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just think that if you're someone who has suffered with an eating disorder, those rules don't apply to you. And I just think, you know, and things like, you know, we could go off topic here, but things like intermittent fasting and cleanses and all of these other things, you can hear from the tone of my voice what I think about (laughs) those sorts of things, but, but, you know, all of these things that other people out there in the world are doing. Yeah you know, they, they just don't apply to us. Yeah. Like, I just almost pretend that I've got these, like, headphones on and I close my eyes and my ears and go, la, 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 la. You know, I, I just don't care about these rules because they're not made for me. <laughs> and I think that's something I've definitely had to accept recently. I think during lockdown with all the, like, talk about, all oh, putting on weight during lockdown or, you know, you've got to be exercising... I kind of at the start was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'll need to do something. Just like, Hannah, you mm. you can't listen to this because, one, those messages shouldn't be there anyway because I think they're very, very unhealthy. But also comments like that just can't be in your life because you can only t- you will only take it to the worst it could be. You couldn't yeah. have a healthy mindset about it. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think w- one question that I often ask myself is like, like where's the where's my power in this decision and that for many people like a powerful and right decision for them is to like get off their butt do some exercise even in lockdown Mm. but for, for us the power is curling up on the sofa with a hot chocolate and a magazine absolutely yeah and 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 that's where our power lies and and to be honest that's something that I you know I still struggle with resting Mm. um I would say that it was only at the tail end of last year I had about three weeks off of my practice I didn't do any yoga I didn't do any exercise Mm. and I would say it's probably the longest I've gone in you know 15 years Mm. without doing exercise and it was kind of hard, but actually then it was all right. Mm. But I had to almost experience that to know that actually the world doesn't end. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Where's your power? Like, how can you get your power back almost? Yeah. Like, are you controlling it or is it controlling you? And as we know with anorexia, you know, it's always trying to weasel its way back in one way or another. Mm. Do you think that the yoga allows you to be in control? Is that why you like it so much? allow me to be in control 
Um, yes and no. I mean, in some ways, I think it does make me feel more in control. And I say that because I was trying to explain to a friend actually the other day about how how I feel on a day that I don't practice yoga. Mm. And I said to her, like, you know, on my rest days, I feel a bit like I've gone to work without having a shower or brushed my teeth. Like, I can function, I can do my job, but I just don't quite feel, like, right. Mm -hmm. You know, you just feel a bit like, like, it's almost like having a mental shower, like doing the yoga <laughs> practice. And it's like, I haven't had my mental shower that day. Mm. But at the same time... I would say I don't really feel in control when I'm doing the practice because it's so hard mm. and you're just not, you know, I, I literally could have tonight, for instance, you know, I could do everything which by, like, by the book I think would mean that tomorrow I would have a good, and I'm doing inverted commas here, mm. a good practice. So, you know, I might have a bath, an early night, you know, eat something for dinner that's kind of healthy but filling, so I've got the energy. I might go to sleep, wake up thinking I'm going to have an amazing practice, and your body just feels really achy, and you're not in control of your mm. body. And then other times, you know, I'll get a little bit drunk, I'll eat something really late, I'll get up in the morning and then I think, oh, this is going to be awful today. And then you just have an amazing one and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Obviously, there are things that you can do that support your body feeling a bit better or, or not. But, you know, you're, you're really not in control. There's, there's all these other factors going on. And, you know, really, if you think you're in control of anything you're generally kidding yourself because none of us are in control of anything. We just, you know, we're desperate to be, but we're just not. So you just have to kind of go with it. Like whatever's presenting mm. in any given moment, you just have to kind of roll with it. But I suppose in a way that that maybe is why it helped your eating disorder recovery so much. I mean, I'm, a, I'm just making an assumption here, but with eating disorders, the main thing is wanting to be in control mm. and like you said nobody's ever in control and even I think when you're in the depth of an eating disorder and you think I I want to stick at this because I need to feel like I'm in control you're just not it's the eating disorder mm. that's in control so maybe by practicing yoga and realizing that actually I've got no control over anything mm. and you know I can mm. control what I wear today I can control not even what time I wake up because sometimes your body just wants to wake up that must be quite a nice feeling to just think a lot of mm. things are out of my control and that's okay. Yeah, for sure. And actually, a, a teacher said to me many years ago when I was still very poorly, but I was I was practicing yoga, he, he looked me square in the eye and he said, when you try and control everything, you control nothing. Mm. And and I just always remembered that. And, and I met the same teacher many, many years later when I was sort of, um, you know, then just doing Ashtanga yoga. And I, and I said to him, do you know you said this to me like years ago? And he was like, oh, I don't remember that, but great. And I think it's, it's so true. And I also think, you know, that I found that as I've just got older, I've kind of noticed that, you know, look at what's happened over the past 12 months with COVID, you know, we're just not in control. And as you say, there, there are little things that we can control or make choices around. And we do have a degree of agency over our lives. But, you know, at the same time, 
we, I think, as anorexic people, you're always trying to control things that you just simply can't. You know, we're trying to control our body weight, but we're not trying to control how tall we are yeah. because we're, we're born with a certain height. Or, you know, we're born determined to be one height or another based on our genetics. And yet with our body shape and size, we're trying to do this manipulation mm. all the time. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah, as I say, as I've got older, I've certainly come closer to just having a degree of kind of acceptance around just what is and whether that's physically or emotionally on a given day or just when your day throws you a curveball, you just kind of have to go, oh, like plot twist. (laughs) And it's funny you say about the whole height thing because really our bodies are destined to be a certain shape as well. So why are we Mm. trying Mm. to manipulate them so much Mm. when... Mm. You know, at the end of the day, it, you're just going to probably bounce back to wherever your body is comfortable anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we mentioned at the start as well that you do the meditation. So mm, is that as mm. part of your yoga or is, or is that a separate thing that you do? So the meditation, um, I guess I, I learned it as a separate thing. Mm-hmm. So when I was in hospital, one of the nurses said, said to me, um, oh, have you ever heard of mindfulness? And this was before mindfulness was a buzzword and I'd never heard of it before and so I bought a book about mindfulness and it came with a this makes me sound really old but it came with a cd-rom and you listened and you listened to the cd and you did these meditations as you listened to the cd and obviously being in hospital I had quite a lot of time on my hands Mm. so I had the time to do this every day and that was when I then started to learn a type of meditation which was mostly like you know body scanning just like you know sensing different parts of your body Mm. and and that I suppose really changed the way my brain was working in the sense that I noticed that I started to see more this sounds very cheesy but see more kind of beauty in the world Mm. like I just I started noticing like nature and things that I had just completely taken for granted before. And then over the years thereafter, a bit like the yoga, I kind of dipped in and out of meditation. I'd have times where I would do it every day and then I'd maybe have weeks where I wouldn't go near it and I'd say to myself, oh, well, I'm doing yoga, so that's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And it's a moving meditation, as many people sort of say about running or swimming or, or walking. Mm. And then I ended up doing some meditation retreats that are in silence and you and you basically spend 10 days sort of not talking and just practicing meditation for like 10, 11 hours a day, which was an amazing experience. And I've done it several times now. But again, they're quite extreme versions of of meditating. And as a person that leans towards extremities, I yeah that they, they would they advise that you do an hour of meditation in the morning and an hour in the evening. Wow. And I was still doing yoga as well and a full-time job. Yeah. And I found it was just again it was almost just that kind of expectation was too much so therefore I just didn't do it at all. And then eventually I then came across um, Vedic med- meditation which is a different style of meditation but the way that they um, teach it is that you do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at another time in the day. And that to me is a lot more accessible. Yeah. 
And so for me, I don't even do that though, to be perfectly honest, because I do my yoga practice in the morning and then I go to work, you know, <laughs> I then do my job and yeah, and have breakfast because that's important for us, right? Yeah. You know, have your breakfast, start your day eating right and let everything flow from there. And then, you know, when I, when I finish work, I then do a 20 minute meditation and again, sometimes I don't. If I don't, I do it the next day. And if I don't do it the next day, I do it the day after that, you know. And and I am someone that can just get so tied into, well, I have to do this every single day, that then I'm, you know, I might be drawn away from something that would actually give me more peace, mm. which might be going for a walk with a friend. Or some nights I just think, you know what, I'm really enjoying this show on Netflix. I just would rather watch an extra 20 minutes of that. And and it's a conscious choice. So it's almost, it's still a meditative or spiritual choice, yeah. if that makes any sense. You know, it's not like just doing it for, through blind boredom or habit. It's what would actually nourish me most tonight. And if it's a bar of chocolate on the sofa watching Netflix more than doing a long meditation because that's what people say I should do, then that's what I'm going to do. But I do think, you know, again, it's personality types because some people need a bit of a kick up the butt to get themselves to do some meditation. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of whatever your tendency, tendency is, and in yoga, we'd call that samskara, like whatever your habitual patterning is, it's kind of good to just go the opposite way sometimes. Yeah, I love that. I like the quote, feel the fear and do it anyway, because I yeah. think often the things that you really don't want to do mm-hmm. in the long mm-hmm. run will always be the best things for you. I really liked what you were saying just then about, you know, some days it's not going to be the yoga that's the best thing for you. Mm. It's the going for a walk and chatting to your friend or just sitting on the sofa. Um, And I think that level of flexibility that you've got, that just sounds incredible because I think, like you say, you could be very easily drawn into, right, I've got to do my yoga at eight o'clock because that's what I do every day and that's what I've been told to do. But that, that to me goes against everything about yoga because to me it sounds like, it should be finding the true you inside yourself and what do you actually want to do listening to your body listening to what your body wants to do not listening to external forces that are forcing you into things which is really fascinating because um you know I don't know how much you have sort of researched about ashtanga yoga or if anyone listening knows about it but ashtanga is a very traditional approach to yoga in the sense that you are supposed to practice six days a week and you have moon days, so a full and a new moon off, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to do like your whole sequence, and like them's the rules, <laughs> and and it's really fun, and I and I almost believe that the reason why I just stumbled into an Ashtanga studio all those years ago was because I could then find this style of yoga that to me it could be my poison or it could be my medicine, mm. and. And I could easily fall down that dogmatic trap of, well, I do this six days a week and I do my whole practice and I'm going to basically use this to beat myself up with, just like I have with running, yeah. bodybuilding, with anorexia, with you know, God knows what else it could be. Or I can learn this method, learn what you know the traditional method is, 
and then make it work within my life and my framework mm. and as I say yeah, and I'll be perfectly honest I still struggle with resting you know I still practice most days you know five six days a week but I'm definitely getting there with regards to just like bringing in some softness and I think the Ashtanga and the yoga community is shifting a lot more in that direction now of you know my teacher gives me the biggest like you know pat on the back when I have a spontaneous day off more than when I show up and practice with her every single day Mm. um because she knows my past and knows my tendency and probably can relate to it in certain ways because that's why we're drawn to the yoga because we're all searching for some sort of peace it's very true what you say I think using that analogy of like poison or medicine you can pretty much use anything you know in this world as as one or the other Mm. it's your approach to it that is that is really important and where again the power and the beauty lies yeah and I suppose it's like we were saying before isn't it in that for some people certain behaviors can be absolutely healthy and fine whereas for others they yeah. can be really detrimental and it's it's finding that balance of am I doing this because I want to or am I doing this because I feel like I have to I honestly could talk to you for so long um, <laughs> I think and there's so many more questions I want to ask you we'll have to do a follow-up episode sure um, so just coming to the end mm. this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others struggling with eating disorders and there's a lot of stigma around it um, and you know I think today is really pinnacle because it's really difficult to leave the dieting world behind especially when you're entrenched in it in an eating disorder and like we've said yoga could be something that you could disguise it with but equally it could be something incredible that allows you to find new dimensions of the world which it sounds like what you've done which is just completely beautiful to hear but what would you say if somebody is struggling with an eating disorder now and they're listening what would be your best advice for them um, to kind of leave their eating disorder behind and, and find people with the world oh that's a huge question (laughs) no it's fine but I'll try and be succinct I would say firstly just know that everything changes Mm. so what you're going through now it won't always be this way and yeah that that everything does change Um, secondly it would be to get some support or confide in anybody that you possibly can whether it's you know professional support whether it's family whether it's friends even just someone that you don't know that well Mm. can be a good person to talk to and just start to unpick some of it and seek support um and you know and finally I think almost what you were saying earlier Han about you know feel the fear and do it anyway there's a point at which I think in anybody's recovery journey where you have to just do something that scares the shit out of you and just and whether that on a given day is like putting a spoonful of sugar in your coffee or you know eating something that's a fear food or not exercising or whatever your thing may be or may not be just at some point take the risk because tomorrow you can always go back to where you were before Mm -hmm. just take the risk and then see how it feels and do it again and again and again and again and you know I swear to god that even five years ago I was 
in a very unhappy place and I sit here now you know talking to you looking out my window with the sun shining and I think I can't believe how I got here and how happy I am fulfilled I am and you know and I'm testament to the fact that you know everything changes and that you know if I can muddle my way <laughs> through it because it's not about you know again this perfect recovery doesn't exist either Absolutely it's not. about wading through the crap and if I can wade through it and get to this point then you know I I believe that anybody can but mm. you have to work hard but also be a bit nice to yourself as well yeah absolutely and I think that's so important to recognize is that I don't think anybody says that recovery is perfect or is easy but I don't think you can ever imagine how difficult it is because you 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 know you think well people are telling me to recover so therefore that must be the better option and it absolutely is but those first few steps of trying things that you've not done for years or putting yourself Mm. in uncomfortable situations they do hurt and they Mm. you know Mm. they do really suck let's not be Mm. Mm. let's not coat it in sugar or whatever Mm. they do Mm. suck but Mm. it's those few months or weeks later you know when you're doing something and you think oh my god I just did that without Mm. even thinking about it and mm-hmm. it's like you were saying earlier about just noticing nature and stuff like that it's simple things like that that you think I haven't done this without mm-hmm. you know feeling awkward or feeling stressed for years and mm-hmm. now I'm just doing it yeah absolutely absolutely I just think and and again the yoga is a is another manifestation of that that now when I try and bend forward like I described mm-hmm. earlier I don't have that pain. So I just bend forward and I don't even think about it. But the pain of like first having milk in my coffee or having a non-vegan bit of cake or whatever, Mm. as you say, it sucked. It was really, really hard. Um, Yeah, and, and recovery is so, so challenging because the eating disorder is there for a reason. There's, there's something about it that makes us all, sort of stay in that comfort zone it serves a purpose so it's not to be put into this box of like the anorexia is bad and recovery is good because it's not that black and white it has been so lovely again to speak to I think I've listened to three talks you've done now and now talking today and I just find out more and it's just even more inspiring so thank you so much um, well thank you for having me for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure I genuinely don't think that there has been a time where I've sat down and either listened to or had a conversation with Kate where I haven't really taken something big away from it. Speaking to Kate really made me reflect on some behaviours that I still do now and kind of trying to decide where they come from. Next week we will be joined by Zoe Burnett who struggled with atypical anorexia herself and she really did have a difficult time in GPs taking her seriously and getting the treatment that she needed for her eating disorder. We'll also be talking about her pregnancy and how it did trigger some eating disorder thoughts and how she's now managing those with her beautiful daughter in her life. I don't call them stretch marks anymore. I do call them my rosy lines. And I look at them now as her first bit of artwork on me, if that makes sense. So now when I look at them, I I can't hate it. I can't hate them because that is my daughter's first artwork. 
If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment, not only those struggling with eating disorders but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!